the Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life. Hello, friends. I'm David Pasqualone, and welcome to this week's remarkable episode, the Dr. James Perdue story. I am super excited about this episode in many ways, and my brain's actually even having a hard time processing the information, and I was part of the interview. So this is what's going to happen. Dr. James Perdue is a teacher, and he's written books. And he has his own podcast. And he's got all sorts of credentials. But in 1983, on September 11th, he broke his neck and became a paraplegic. You're going to hear the story and you're going to hear what happened. But what really sticks with me about this episode is when you have a leader, there's an argument, are leaders born or made? I think it's both. Sometimes they're born, sometimes they're made, sometimes it's developed. But with James, what really struck me is did he have learned behavior from his parents or did God just put a positive attitude in him? Because when his neck was broken and it took him out of professional sports, he was on a trajectory to be recruited and going to professional sports. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't angry. He was just accepting of where he is and where he's going and what do I have to do next. So that truly is remarkable. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn about the ABCs of overcoming. You're going to be able to see how don't quit before the blessings come. This episode is packed with great information that you can, like our slogan says, not just listen to. But do it, repeat it, and have a great life in this world and the next. So, ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Dr. James Perdue, the professor of perseverance. Just check out this quick message from our sponsors, who are also remarkable people. Hey, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Before we get on with this remarkable episode, I want to thank our remarkable sponsors. Today, we have two, two fantastic, truly, truly, they're my friends, but they have high quality work, great services, Butler Auto Recycling and Lloyd's Auto Glass. Now, If you are anywhere in the United States or even abroad, you can experience Butler's Auto Recycling. Butler's has quality used and new auto parts for trucks, SUVs, cars, heavy-duty vehicles, everything you can imagine. And you can access them online at butlerautorecycling.com. And if you mention the Remarkable People podcast, you'll get this free hat that's fantastic. I love it. Only reason I'm not wearing it now is because for some reason, the green blends with the green screen if you're watching this on video and my head disappears. So if you want to get quality auto parts and a free hat that's amazing, contact Butler's, butlerautorecycling.com. Now, 
Our second sponsor is throughout Northwest Florida, Lloyd's Auto Glass. Lloyd's, again, my personal friends, great humans, but Barry is the owner, his son, Ian, JR, you got Greg, you got a whole, Jennifer, the whole team there is amazing. And just this past week, this episode is releasing, I brought a classic truck that I'm restoring into a body shop and they were supposed to take the windshield out, fix the body work. And then Lloyd's was going to fix the cracked windshield I had and put a new windshield in. The body shop didn't do their job. Lloyd's went to the body shop, called me up, said, Hey, this isn't right. This is going to cause you problems. You're going to have leakage. You're going to have, uh, rust continuing and it might even crack your windshield there was a little bit of an argument between the body shop saying no it's fine lloyd saying no it's not done right and lloyd's was right they were a hundred percent right so instead of being petty instead of saying no instead of saying we're not going to do this job they go above and beyond they ground out my entire window well they treated it for rust and painted it and then they installed their job window. So Lloyd's, if you're in Northwest Florida, five stars. You need auto parts, butlerautorecycling.com. Again, five stars. And the whole, both teams, separate entities, separate businesses, separate owners. But man, they're great people. So again, I'm David Pasqualone, and we're here today for the Remarkable People podcast. But we're not here. We have a remarkable God. We have remarkable guests. We have remarkable sponsors. And you truly are a remarkable listener. So let's all keep our community together, support one another, and keep the mission going. Now enjoy this great episode. Hey, James. How are you today, brother? Hey, I'm blessed, man. Far better than I deserve. Yes, yes. Aren't we all, right? It is good to have you on the podcast I've been looking forward to our interview. As I've told our audience, they call you the professor of perseverance, and they're going to learn why. So at this time, James, let's do it. We have the Remarkable People podcast, and like we tell our listeners, don't just listen to this great information, but repeat it each day. Do it for life. So when you speak, they're listening. We have a great community and remarkable family. And if you can just start, start in your childhood, start in your teens, wherever you see fit. But tell us about your journey, brother. Hey, uh, David, again, thank you for this opportunity to be able to share and hopefully, uh, you know, get somebody fired up here in the uh, next little bit here. Now, I usually try to start off, I'll go like my grandfather would do it. It was in 1983. So that's my grandfather. 1983. 1983. <laughs> I was one of them growing up, wanted to be a professional athlete, professional baseball player. I wanted to, you know, to help take care of my mom and to help take care of my other my brothers and stuff. Uh, wasn't married, of course, at that time. And we, we grew up, I wouldn't say we were poor but I would say we were knocking on the door. So, and the reason that is that could say this, when I was 16, my dad passed away 
early. So I had to learn and grow up fast then. I got an older brother, but he's not mechanically inclined. So if, if, if the tire went flat, he had no clue how to change the tire. So I had to do it. And so, and so when I say we were knocking a door poor, mom was raising three boys and her, but sometimes it rained and sometimes our roof leaked and we couldn't afford a roofer. So on the days it wasn't raining, I'm on the roof trying to find the hole or whatnot, trying to patch it the best I can. Winter time, 14 degrees. If our pipes froze, I'm the one that's underneath the house trying to find out where it's frozen. The pipes burst to fix it because we couldn't afford a plumber. Again, auto mechanic, same way and whatever else. So had to grow up a little fast. So because of all that, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I enjoyed playing baseball. I grew up thinking I was invincible, that nothing was going to stop me. And that way I could get my mom that new house, new car, give my brother a new car. Uh, it used to be a long time ago, they would say, they say you, can, you can get a mail order bride. I was actually going to do a mail order groom for my mom. That way I could pick my stepdad for her. So it's what I was Nice, nice. So, well, all right. So I did actually get a college scholarship to go play baseball and had a couple of professional teams looking at me. I got to play one college game in the fall, the only freshman starting on the team. The very next day, again, which was September 11th, people were out on the courtyard, out on the college grounds, and was playing actually football, playing tackle football. No helmets, no protective gear, no pads, nothing like that, but we were playing tackle football. My team got the ball back, and I remember saying, hey, we've been out here about two hours. Uh, it's time for me to get my stuff ready for class. Uh, I'm tired, been out here a couple hours, and so I left the huddle. I got maybe 10 feet from the huddle, then I heard someone say, we need someone to run the ball. I stopped, turned around, and said, all right, I'll come back for one more play. And that play has put me where I'm at today. So talk about that. What happened on the snap after the snap? They hand the ball off to me. I did my Heisman Trophy move, put my arm out and everything, broke a couple of tackles, scored a touchdown. Now, everyone knows when you score a touchdown, the play's over, it's dead. So when I'm turning towards everybody on the field, putting the ball down, I see something in my right side, my peripheral vision on my right side. I have no idea what I see. I just see something. I feel contact about shoulder high on my right side, and then I hear a loud pop. And both of us went to the ground. And that day, only one of us returned to our feet. I'm going to give you a hint there, Dave. I wasn't one of them that got up. I was the one that laid there paralyzed instantly. Man. Now, when that happened, what was the awareness on the field? Did people come running? Did they think it was just a late tackle and everything was fine? What happened at that moment? Well, I'm laying on the ground, so I have no idea. I'm conscious the whole time. I'm awake for all this. I do remember the guy that hit me, that uh, he was all excited. I, I tackled him. I tackled him. And then I guess someone told him it was a touchdown. And then he goes, well, does a touchdown still count? And so, again, with me thinking I was invincible growing up that way, and I was left-handed, 
And again, all this stuff happened on the right side. I was going to try to get up and fight the guy because I thought that pop was my collarbone and broke is what I thought at the very beginning. So I went to lift my head up to get up. And when I lift my head, that's it. My shoulders didn't come up. My arms didn't come up. Definitely feet and legs didn't come up. And so I put my head back down, tried again to get up. And then the other thing, they say three's a charm. So I took a deep breath for the third time. And then again, nothing followed. So then I knew I was paralyzed instantly. Man, and this was 1983. What year was this? 1983, yes. 19, September 11th, 1983. Wow. So at this point, you're in your late teens, early 20s. 19. 19 years old. You have paralyzed, you're paralyzed. And is it from the waist down, the shoulders down? Well, how, how severe is the paralysis? Shoulders down at that time. I couldn't move anything. I couldn't move my arms or anything. And so, fortunately, you know, of course, there was one guy there at school. And I wish I could find, locate some of these people back then. And uh, he was going to school. I don't know to be Back in 83, I don't know if it was called paramedics then or an emergency care, ambulance, whatever it's called. But he was going to be one back in 1983. So he was awesome. He, he was directing everybody or somebody. He says, run to my room and bring back my stethoscope, bring back my blood pressure kit, bring me paper and pad, bring me back a blanket. And people are running. He's taking my pulse, trying to keep me calm, taking my blood pressure documenting all that that way when ambulance did get there he gave them all the stuff preparing and so that was awesome we again i wish i could meet some of these people from back then and you never know how god works maybe on this podcast they'll be listening we got listeners from over 80 countries what school did this happen at martin methodist martin. Uh, college in pulaski tennessee all right so if you're an emt from 1983 and that's the college and that's the incident you remember Let's reach out to our friend James and uh, reconnect you guys. Yeah, I'd heard at one point the guy was in Smyrna, Tennessee with the fire department. And I actually reached out to call the Smyrna because it's only an hour for me where I live. And so uh, they didn't recall him, anybody at that point like that. So hope it, yeah, I would love to meet up with some of these people just to thank them for what they've done and how they helped back then. And uh, definitely some of the nurses uh, when I was in the hospital to meet up with them, see how they're doing this, this time. So, but as I'm laying there on the ground, you know, one, one thought came to me pretty quick. I started thinking of this man I met named JT. What's JT got to do about this story, right? Who the heck is JT? When I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I used to go visit my grandfather in a nursing home. And we would get my grandfather out of bed, push him around outside so we can get some sunlight and stuff. But one day we went to go visit him. A new neighbor had moved in, a room or two before my grandfather. New neighbor had moved in at the nursing home. And the guy's name was JT. And he stopped me. He says, hey, hey bud, come here. Can you help me? And I go in his room. And I'm 12, 13, 14 years old. And I say, yes, sir. He said, hey, can you hold that cup with that straw so I can get a drink of water? Well, I noticed then his arms is just up against him like this, laying in bed. And then I found out later he was paralyzed from his neck down. 
from a car accident. So now I'm thinking of JT and how I'm going to be put in a nursing home at the age of 19 years old. It was was, was going through my head. Man, now there's so many questions. So first question is, they take you to the hospital. What was the initial prognosis? And bring us to where you are today, how it did turn out. And we'll keep going back and forth, past and present. So what was the initial prognosis? Did they tell you you're going to get some movement back or were they like, it's forever? No. The first hospital to take me to in Pulaski, apparently they were too small of a hospital. They wouldn't even confirm to me I had a broken neck, which already, you know, when you can't move your arms, you can't move, you know, something's wrong. But they, I don't know if they were worried I was going into shock or what. They didn't, they wouldn't even tell me anything. So they ended up taking me and sending me to Nashville about two hours away in St. Thomas Hospital. And there, the doctor, when he came in one time, finally did, a, you know, the x-rays and did a prick test to see if I can feel sharp and dull. And finally, I asked the doctors, well, doc, come on, tell me how bad is it? He said, it's bad enough you'll never walk again and possibly not move from your neck down. And I says, hmm, that's pretty bad, isn't it? He said, yep. Then he comes back and says, now I got to do something to you. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to hurt like hell. And we're, we're not going to put you to sleep for it. But we've got to drill holes in your head and put this, it's like a horseshoe. It's called a tongue. And they, it's got a rope hanging off of it where they're going to put weight on the end of it to stretch my neck to try to get the vertebrae to pop back in place. And I, I remember telling the doctor, well, I can't fight you, doc. You do what you have to do. And so, fortunately, they did at least deaden the skin area, but with the bone and everything, yeah, they, they didn't do anything. And here I'm hearing these, when they're screwing them in, the bone breaking and crushing and stuff like that and feeling the pressure going in and then hanging that 10 pounds of weight off the end of my rope to try to stretch my neck. And I was, I was like that for two weeks. I can't even imagine what that was like. So what were, when you were laying there, what was the thought, the emotion, what was the mindset you had? I mean, everybody, even the most positive person in that kind of extreme scenario, you know, can struggle. What was it like laying there for those two weeks? For the two weeks. And I was on what's called a striker frame. And you would, I would lay two hours on my back. Then they would, put me with another part of the canvas, the part of the striker frame and strap me in on the front of me. So now I got, I'm like a sandwich. I got this top part on me, the bottom part on me, strap me in. And then they flip and turn the whole thing over. And then I lay an hour on my stomach and stare at the ground. So every two and one hours they're flipping me. So I wouldn't get any pressure sores, any ulcers on my body from being in one spot. Uh, but for two weeks, Came to real realization that probably my baseball career was over with. So I wouldn't be able to get that, uh, that mail-ordered husband for my mom now and couldn't help out. But at that time, because of growing up thinking I was invincible, I always thought then, then that I would walk again. I just knew that running and playing like that I knew would be over with. So I had still had the mindset I was going to walk. Now, while you were laying there, 
I mean, like you said, the guy who tackled you didn't even understand the basics of football. And were you thinking like, uh, did you know the guy? Did you not know the guy? Were you thinking, man, this is dumb action. You think I'm going to strangle him? What were you thinking about that? You know, I was in, I was in, there on the unit on the uh, college for two full weeks, so I have no clue who I was playing that day. I, I couldn't pinpoint one person there. Now, I do believe the guy that hit me came to the hospital to visit one day, and the only reason I, I think he did, only reason I think he did, is one day on the striker frame, they had flipped me, and I'm staring at the floor, staring at the floor, with two guys come in to visit. And they told me they were from Martin Methodist and they come to see how I was doing. We talked for a little while. I don't even know how much time, 15, 20 minutes, maybe. And then they, they said, they're going to head back to, to the, to the college. And so they left I heard the door shut. Now here's where I believe the guy that hit me was there after the door shut. It wouldn't, it couldn't have been no more than 10 seconds. The door opened up again. And I heard someone say, I'm sorry, man. And then the door shut again. Now, he never told me, hey, I'm going to tackle you. But when the door opened up, I'm sorry, man, and door shuts, I'm assuming that was him. Yeah, that makes logical sense. Man, that's so frustrating. So, like, everybody's personality is different. Everybody has a default emotion, you know? How did you, did you get bitter towards him or whoever did it? Did you, like, what was your, like, what were you facing during this time? I mean, you had physical threat, you had, you know, emotional, your whole life is changing. So what kind of, what kind of struggles were you going through at this point? And, and again, I never saw him again. And I really never thought about him anymore. Again, it was, it was taking the hard road now to get, physically fit the best I can. Now, again, I got hurt on September 11th and we were doing after two weeks on this struggle frame back and forth, back and forth. And then they finally went in surgery because the vertebrae wasn't going back in place. So they finally went in surgery and to fuse my neck back in place. So the vertebrae be back in place. They took some bone off my hip and put it on each side of the vertebrae and they took wire and wrapped around there. Well, I hope that wire didn't rusty, uh, get rusty or anything. So, uh, <laughs> I hope I, I, I got I, I got x-rays where you can see wire going in there. And then I hear these people today going, yeah, I got some titanium rods put in mine and screws. I'm going, yeah, you're lucky. We just had wire when I got hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So what goes on at that point, James? You're in bed. You The first doctor's like, we don't, can't tell you if you're even broken. The next doctor's like, you may walk. I mean, you'll never walk, but you may be able to move your arms. So from the point you were at that hospital to, you know, when you found out, okay, the surgery was successful, what was that time frame? It was pretty quick after, again, two weeks from injury to surgery. And it was pretty quick after surgery, I was moving my arms. So those, and, and, and who knows, I might've been able to move them. I was just too scared thinking maybe, I would cause more damage if I did move because I could feel when they did the prick test, sharp and dull. I could feel that, but, but I was moving pretty easy, pretty quick, not easy. My fingers still don't work today, <clears throat> but then the, they sent this, I mean, 
this woman couldn't have been no more than four eleven, and here I am, a two hundred pound athlete, and she's throwing me around like a sack of potatoes as a physical therapist. <laughs> he was awesome. I wish I could meet up with her again, and I don't even remember her name. She worked with me for three months, and I don't remember her name anymore. But uh, I wish I could get out to these people. But she yeah. So at one point, uh, because being laying on my laying prone for two weeks. For me to be able to sit up to get to therapy, they said your blood pressure, because it's used to going horizontally. Now, when you sit up and up and down, your blood may drop, you may pass out. So she had me sit up in bed one time and she goes, now you let us know if you start feeling like you're going to pass out. I said, oh yeah, I'll do this. And, and, you know, being an athlete, trying to be strong and everything. And all of a sudden she said, she says, how you feeling? And I go, I'm feeling hearing like a train. Boom, I was gone <laughs> and passed out. Heard that, that roar and noise. <laughs> and then I passed out. So after that, she put me in, uh, they got the leggings for, uh, one for my hips all over my feet to help circulation with my legs. And then put this binder around my stomach area, probably about eight inches long, wide to keep the blood pressure from dropping. Of course, then they had elbow pads on me, so I didn't get burns on my elbows from moving in bed and this neck brace. So one day, one day I was going there to go to therapy, and I talked the nurses and taking all that off. I mean, all of no, no, no doctor's permission or anything. And I said, I said, if I'm gonna be a handicap, I want to be a normal handicap. I don't see nobody else in therapy wearing all this stuff. And I said, I want these hoses off, I want this binder off, the elbow pads, neck brace, everything I want off. Convinced them to take it off. Got down to therapy. They wouldn't even touch me. They said, no, you got to get, until you get a doctor's prescription, you know, we're not going to touch you. And uh, they said, you were afraid, you know, your neck may not be healed without that uh, brace. And, and so here, I'm just trying to move things along, you know, let's go, let's do some stuff. And so, so got back and everything like that. And they, put everything back on me again, go book, do my therapy. But a day or two later, I talked to them all out of taking it all off again. And this time I go down to therapy and I said, they, the doctor said I can take it all off. And they did therapy without checking. And I hadn't talked to a doctor yet. So I'm trying to move <laughs> on, trying to move on. Let's go. You know, let's get, we, the quicker we do things, the quicker we can move on. And so, uh, so then we finally get back upstairs. And a doctor comes in to check on me and everything like that. And they said, look, doc, he's not wearing those hoses on his leg, the binder. Look at it, not even neck brace and, and the elbow pads. Said, look how good he's doing. And I said, yeah, no permission. What? <laughs> yeah, they, they freaked out when I told them that. <laughs> you are so funny. And it reminds me of that, that champion mentality. My daughter today, I was just at the knee doctor with her. And she had surgery way less than what you had, but she just had a surgery with her knee. They put in this thing called an inner brace and she's really not supposed to be doing anything. And she's asking if she can start getting in the pool. And he's like, yeah, just be real careful. And she's like, well, I've been swimming and I just was scuba diving and I just beat everybody in a race. And he's like, how far did you go? And uh, she goes, Oh, I don't know. hundred yards. And the daughter's like, you're the kind of patience to teach us the limitations of what can and can't be done. But you're also the kind of patient that's very like non-compliant. He's like, so please be careful, but your non-compliance and her non-compliance healed your body and made 
life better. And the doctors are learning from you. It's like a human guinea pig, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, there was one episode, one one thing that I uh, got got depressed. Things wouldn't work in, couldn't do for myself. I couldn't even feed myself at the time because, again, couldn't move my arm, couldn't hold a fork or anything, couldn't feed. And I just got to a point where I wanted to do something on my own. And I don't know why I come up with this stupid idea, but I wanted to, you know, they had these rails, you know, there was nothing in the middle, four different rails. One's two for my legs so they don't fall off in the upper body, but there's a gap in between. So for some reason, I'm trying to squirm in between that gap just so I can touch the floor. That's it. I, I don't know why stupid want to touch the floor. And one nurse come in and saw me. And she pushed me back in bed. What are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself. I said, I want to do something to say that I did it. But she leaves the room, but I see her staying in her shadow. She's standing at the door watching me. And here I am trying to go over and touch the floor. She does it again. And she says, well, I, don't, I don't understand what you're doing. You're going to fall down. What if you break your hip? I said, then I can say I broke my hip. Not the therapist transferring me broke my hip. Not a doctor transferring me broke my hip. Not a nurse transferring me broke me. That I can say I did it. And so I don't know why I was stupid like that, but uh, to touch the floor when there's other things I could have been trying to do. But yeah, I, I was tired of people doing for me. I want to do something. Yeah, that sound makes sense. I mean, uh, the frustration you went from being an athletic, athletic guy to being stuck in bed. So talk about the journey. Where do you go from that, you know, constant physical therapy and the bed to where you start becoming independent. What's that journey look like, James? Well, from September 11th to big Halloween night, you're not going to believe it's Halloween night. I first started twitching a muscle on my own in my leg on Halloween night. And I was so excited. I had the nurses call a nurse that would work with me during the day, Vicky. Oh boy. I would love to meet Vicky again. I was in love with Vicky. She was what the doctor ordered early. <laughs> my medicine, my prescription for my mentality. She was awesome. And so she actually, when they called and told her that I had moved a muscle, she came up that night on Halloween night to spend some time with me and, you know, to give me some encouragement and stuff. But yeah, I would love to be with her. But so from there, early November, Mid-November, yeah, was sent to a rehab in Birmingham. It's called Spain, University of Alabama, Spain, and there for 30 days. And they were supposed to be, at that time, one of the best ones. So here I am going, I'm, I'm moving muscles now to my legs, but they're the best. They're going to have me walking. They didn't do squat on what I wanted. They didn't work my legs one time. They worked on how to learn to live in the wheelchair, dress yourself as a quadriplegic, eat as a quadriplegic. Their whole, their whole thing was to teach you to live your life. They had no interest of, and they're right. They were right. Again, me wanted to, if y'all the best, let's get these legs going in. You can see I'm already moving them beforehand. So before I got down here, so let's do something. No, their job was to try, and again, they were right. I would, I wouldn't accepting it at then, but yeah, they were right at that <laughs> to do that. Yeah, there's a fine line though, because, like you're saying, they're right. Because I know in episode three we had 
James Cisco, and he had his back broken, told him he was going to be paralyzed for life. And he ended up getting therapy and he had that muscle twitch. And then the gentleman's like, if you can twitch that muscle, we can get it back. And it took a while. Well, the guy ends up being like an eight time world kickboxing champion. And like, he got full mobility back. So obviously it wasn't as severe. Maybe, you know, God just performed a miracle for him. And, you know, it's a different, different life, different purpose. But yeah, I mean, if you can feel that connection, do you still get twitches in your legs? Do you still get sensations? After we got home, after I got home from then, from Birmingham, come back home where I live. Well, actually, I was down there. They doctors, their groups of doctors told my mom that I, they should put me in a nursing home, that I would be too much of a burden for them to provide care for, you know, for this. And fortunately, we were hard-headed and didn't listen. And we started our own physical therapy program. And I met up with this other doctor from the state department here in, in Tennessee, would come do home health visit once or twice a week. And then he saw the movement that I had. And he gave exercises for us to do. And we did all this. And we we got where I was able to stand up without holding on anything. I could walk with a walker for about 10 minutes. But that 10 minutes, man, I feel like I run a mile. And yeah. I practice it every day. It never got any better. But yeah, I feel, feel like I run a mile. And I tell people, I said, hey, I made a liar out of them. Doctor said I'd never walk in. I made a liar out of them for 10 full minutes. It's just the other 23 hours and 50 minutes he was correct. <laughs> yeah, because your body was constantly in pain and fighting and everything. Spasms, fighting all the time. And, yeah, so so we did, yeah, had gotten, and that was a blessing to get that far because, you know, I'm a big guy. So it made it easier for me to stand up to get in bed, stand up to get on the toilet, stand up, get off the toilet, stand up to uh, get on the shower bench, take a shower, stand up to get out of there, stand up to get in the car, stand up to get out of the car. And instead of me having to try to drag myself back and forth, it was so much of a blessing. But year five, I went to 18 different rehabs in five years trying to find that cure to walk. That's how bad I wanted to walk. And after the last one, I mean, there was one time I drove all the way 18 hours to Pennsylvania for the doctor to spend 15 minutes with me and told me there was nothing more they can do and driving 18 hours back. So, I mean, that's that's how bad I wanted it. But every time I'd come back with, no, you come as far as you can, we can't help you. And so then um, I would just get a little bit depressed because of it. And so after the fifth year, I ended up, I was truthful at the beginning, but after things have settled down and done, it was one of the biggest lies I was telling myself. So I told my family after the last one, I said, you know, not that I'm putting this walking, quitting, but I'm going to put it on the back burner because if I'm going to have some type of life, I need to go to college. I need to finish, get a degree. And because I didn't know anybody in wheelchair spinal cord injuries. So I didn't know how much they did or didn't do in life. And so I said, but if I'm going to have a chance. I need to get a degree and do something. And so I said, I'm not quitting with the walking, but put it on the back burner. So I can work on a college life. Well, that was the biggest lie that I told myself and them. And again, it was, I was honest about it at that point, but at that point I've never gone to one therapy 
trying to work on my legs to walk again. It's it's just yeah. So that was kind of like the moment. Now, talk about for the listeners. You know, there are people right now struggling with physical tragedy, but the same process for emotional tragedy, physical tragedy, relational tra- tragedy, and the depression. That all is very similar and ties together. So what did God teach you? Like, how did you learn to overcome the depression and keep a positive mindset and become the professor of perseverance? And I, I try to teach and tell other people, just sing ABC. Don't go any further. Just do the Michael Jackson ABC. ABC. It's all you need, ABC. And then I tell them ABC. A is a is what? What is A? A is, oh, accept adversity. Whatever you're going through, the quicker you can accept it, the quicker you can move on in life and start healing. Again, I took that five-year journey trying to find the cure to walk again because I hadn't accepted you're going to be in a wheelchair and you start living and, and I was still going to walk again, had that mentality. So A, A B, C, A, accept adversity. B, begin battling. What do you do to begin the battle? Now you need to find people that's going through what you're going through and see how they got through it. The great thing nowadays is what? At the tip of our fingertips is the wide world web, and we can find all the information we want to find on how people got through whatever they're going through. Find an organization. Find an association that helps with it. Find a mentor, a coach, counselor, preacher, whoever, that's been, a great podcast. Uh, like, go to, yes, right, the podcast of remarkable people, and uh, you can find great, great tools from there. That's right. And then see uh, now, now you got all this information. Now, see, let's go and conquer the challenge. Let's take all this information you've learned, and now it's, 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 it's instilling it to us and go out and let's conquer what's happening and move on in life the best that we can. And then how long did it take you to, were you always a positive guy or did it take some time to develop into this and to get that mindset? I think I've always been positive. And, and again, it goes back to the, the invincible mentality. Cause there's times I should have quit doing things. Even today, there's things that ought to be quit, quit instead of wasting my time on it. And then finally, cause I think it's really going to happen, you know, and finally you go, well, it's been five years or eight years or six years. Uh, apparently, that's not going to happen. Well, let's move on. Not that that was the only thing I was focused on, but I mean, other things focused on life. But finally, you go, nah, this is not really going to help out like uh, do like I want it. So let's go and stop that and move on and get, some, get something else to do. Yeah, and there's always that fine line between that also. Like, when do you quit? and move on and when do you keep persevering because a lot of times right when you're about to quit something i found that's like the moment that if you just endure greatness occurs so for the listeners how do you help people understand okay this is a battle that's not worth fighting go put your energy towards something else or no fight till you die or win how do you define and explain the difference to me what you're what you're talking about to me, it's the uh, dangling carrot at the end for the mule to keep chasing after until he finally gets that carrot at the end of the hard work. 
And so, I mean, that's hard. That's hard. I don't know if I can tell anybody when's the time for, to quit. That's something they got to come up with. But to me is when the results are not changing, like here I'm walking with a walker for 10 minutes. Rarely got up to 15 minutes. And even then I was so wore out. And so, I mean, it'd been different if that 10 minutes built up to an hour and then maybe an hour got me another two hours. Then you say, continue on. But when that 10 minutes of standing and walking was just 10 minutes and you felt like you run a mile every time, not that you quit that because that 10 minutes of standing is great for your skeletal muscles, skeleton, the blood circulation, but to put more time into it to think you're going to get more, that's when you need to be real about that then. Awesome. Now, what about uh, through your journeys, through life, you know, what kind of path did it bring you on now? You're going to college, you're playing baseball. So where does James go? James, after, again, after that five years that I, again, was an honest statement, but which turned out to be one of the biggest lies to myself. But when I finally accepted, let's try to move on, let's get a college degree and stuff. I ended up getting my teaching degree, got my associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and got into teaching and coaching. Coached a uh, state championship girls basketball team. I was also helping coach the high school. I taught seventh graders. And so, but also helping with the high school baseball team. So I got to do things that I was enjoyed to do. I learned early, early with the high school, with the baseball that it was way too much problems trying to get me on and off those fields. They're not accessible. So when I got into coaching basketball, once you get indoors, the, the, the hallways are all flat. <laughs> so that made things easier. So, I mean, that was another thing I had to finally say, is it worth me going to these baseball games and have these kids, you know, when I say kids, you know, high school athletes pushing me up and down all over the field on the ground, on the grounds, off the ground, in the dugout, back to my car. Is it worth? And, and none of them complained. None of them said, "I'm tired of doing it. nothing." At least they didn't around me. They may have done it on their own breath, but so it's so there. I had to make a decision. It just wasn't worth it to me to do all this on the baseball. That's why I went in and just did ba- basketball at that time. And so yeah, it's, so I got into that, and then after. Winning the state championship and my basketball team, we were just blessed with good athletes. Out of the 14 years, we went to the championship game in our county like 12 times. We didn't win them all, but we probably wanted half of them and finished runner-up half of them. Again, won won the state one time. And so it was funny that uh, me and the other coach, we were – we were kiddingly, kiddingly uh, called the Pat Summit of middle school basketball. <laughs> so that was fun. That's so after awesome. That, after that, I went to work in my, while I was teaching and coaching, working my doctoral degree because I was ready to get out of teaching and coaching and use a doctoral degree, not to go teach anywhere else, but to get out, hoping those credentials open more doors for me to get out and speak, to talk to people, help them. And then years later comes YouTube and podcasting and all this comes the, comes then. Okay. So 
I want to go back to something because this intrigues me about your story. There's a cycle of grief and depression and anger and, you know, there's a cycle. And normally most people go through a stage of anger and even hate when something like this happens. And it's really intriguing me that you haven't mentioned, even when I was kind of like probing, you didn't really mention you were angry or, or upset with the individual that broke your back. So is that something you just how you're built? Is that something you learn from your parents? Like, hey, why dwell on it? Because it's not going to do you any good. Because that really is a remarkable characteristic because most people need to work through that anger and hate so they can get to the healing. And somehow you just zoop, skip by it. So how did that all happen? How, how do you think that occurred? Because you do understand, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, but most people would go through that jerk broke my back. Oh, you, yeah, know? Yeah, you know, they got that five stages of grief, right? And one of them is anger. And uh, don't get me wrong. I've thrown, I've thrown my plates in glass now, if I can't throw it like I used to beforehand, when I throw now, it only goes about a foot from me and I usually hit my own leg or foot, so I don't throw things anymore. But uh, no, I really, honestly, I, I'm not mad at the guy. And it may be, it may be that my life has turned out a heck of a lot better than we ever thought. And that may be it. I mean, I hope the best for this guy. If I ever meet him again, I would tell him, man, I hope you didn't go through a big grieving and, and feel guilty. And I'm letting you know that my life turned out better. And, uh, whatever. I mean, I've been over in, in the Camorra Islands off the east coast of Africa as, a, as an ambassador for disabled people, trying to get other people out of, the, out of their houses that are disabled and went over there with 15 wheelchairs trying to help them get out. I mean, who would ever think I'd be over in Africa or Camorra Islands as a, an ambassador? For disabled people, you know, and I've been in yeah. Paris, been over in Germany, and so uh, who'd ever thought that? And then plus, again, it's and uh, made the best I can. I, I rarely get, I mean, I get mad at things. Don't get me wrong, but for some situation, I probably used to got mad earlier when I couldn't pick up uh, a pencil to try to write because my fingers wouldn't work, you know. But to, uh, no, to, for someone else, I, I don't get mad at at other people and it's life's too short for that. I'm no need in busting a, uh, a gasket for over, for over stressing out. So. Yeah. And that's the right mindset. I'm just trying to figure out how you got there because if we can reverse engineer how you got there, then all of us with that anger can learn how to overcome it. So, but let's uh, talk about. Before my injury. Now I was one of them. I was ready to fight, and again, because I thought I was invincible, but I was ready to fight and got mad at the drop of a hat. If that's how, like, on a, on a ball field, if someone did something and I wouldn't, didn't like it, someone got a hit off of me and I didn't like it, the next time up, they're getting the ball in, in, the, in their back. So, but, but yeah, but I, I don't have, I don't, again, I don't know if I really had that. I had to learn to be patient. Had to learn to be patient from from things, from all this. Yeah, well, that's that is remarkable. 
So let's go on then. So you've gone through your life, you've learned so much. And like you said, you get these great opportunities that other people may not have. And you know what? The baseball players are a dime a dozen. You get to do work with purpose to help others, encourage people. And that's just amazing. So the professor of perseverance, talk about that title. And if you had a message to convey to our audience, what is that message? What are you trying to communicate to them? Professor of Perseverance, I got to give it to my man, John Bentley. John Bentley, we, we were in the National Speakers Association together, and he knew that I wanted to, my speaking topic niche was going to be perseverance. And John's uh, John one day, we'd known his ear for months, and all of a sudden John one day, he was behind me, and he goes, hey, Professor of Perseverance. I'm ignoring him and everything. Professor of Perseverance. And I finally turned and said, John, are you talking to me? He said, yeah, you're the Professor of Perseverance. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, well, you got a doctoral degree. Yeah. So you're a professor. He said, you want to talk about perseverance, don't you? Yeah. You're the Professor of Perseverance. And so that's how that tag came. And I tell people I got a picture. We got a Popeye's restaurant where I live. And one day I was going through. And the P.O.P. for pop was lit up, but the E.Y.E.S. eyes was not lit up for some reason. Something that breaker wasn't on or whatever. So I pulled over and took a picture and with the P.O.P. lit up with the eyes not. And I said, look, even Popeye's is supporting Professor of Perseverance. Nice. And that's a sign, right? Yeah. Literally, yeah. it's a sign. So, uh, yeah, so that's how I came up with that. And from there, so we can then, you know, I mean, I would, the big message I always tell people is, you know, we, we are the, we are the worst in limiting self-limitation on ourselves more than the outside of us. You know, people are afraid to start a new job because they don't know what to expect. But, you know, people are afraid to start because someone says, what if you fail? What if you don't do good? What if you, and it's these other people outside, but we want to think we're blaming them. We don't want to try because they discourage me. No, we're the biggest self-limitator of all because we think, what if they're right? What if I don't win? What if I fail? What if I succeed? And then I don't know what to do after that. You know, so I think if we need to be open and go try. If it doesn't work out, it didn't work out. You don't know unless you try it. And so I think that we need to move. And as long as we're moving forward in life to whatever satisfaction you may believe, I say, I tell people, you don't have to go a hundred miles an hour forward. You can move forward at a snail's pace. And those saying, people say, well, I feel like I take two steps forward, but I fall back one. It's awesome. That means you're still one step into good. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So, and even, even if you go two step forward and fall back three, what did you learn from that? What did you learn from the experience? And then you're going to make a decision. Is it worth to still try and go after what I'm going? Can I change my goal to, to go around whatever I was trying then to get to the ultimate destination? Or do I say that it's not worth it? Let me do something else now. You, you have decisions to make. So what do you recommend to the listeners? How do you start practicing? You, so somebody has a self-limiting belief. 
They're self-sabotaging. They're hearing the demons in the head, whatever you want to call it, but it's keeping them from moving forward. What are the steps for them to start getting rid of that, taking that, you know, that chunky monkey and throwing it in the ocean, letting it drown? Start a value. First thing you have to do is you got to evaluate what's controlling your thoughts. Is it the music you're listening to? Are you listening to bad messages? Are you watching bad movies? Now, I'm not saying all this stuff is bad, but if it's controlling you to keep you in a negative thought, are you with friends that are constantly whining and crying about stuff and then you jump in with them? Now, I'm not saying kick your friends out for the rest of your life, but you may have to go, hey, you know, I'm trying to change. I'm trying to be more positive. I need to, you know, we need to limit our time so I can build myself up better. And if they can't understand you're trying to better yourself, maybe they don't need to be in your life. I got this one friend that uh, uh, we've known each other for over 40 years. We met when we were 12 years old. I went through a cancer scare, thought I had cancer. And I called to tell him about it. And the first thing out of his mouth is, oh, man, why well, ain't eight in a week? And someone's not feeding me. And I can't go do anything else. And I went to go try to get food the other day. And they just slammed the door in my face. It was, you know, all went to him. Nothing about, hey, I'm sorry. What can I do to help you? Not that I was looking for that. But it told me I need to have positive people around me during this time. And to get that positive vibe, I need to stay positive. I listen to positive uh, affirmations, to read positive stuff, limit. I mean, I re really limit myself off the news because, man, they'll, they'll spend, you know, 25 minutes of what's going on wrong with the world. And then, hey, we got this minute and a half of this feel-good story. <laughs> you know, we ought to be building ourselves up with 25 minutes of good stuff that's happened in the world and then maybe come back and say, yeah, there's a murderer. It's in the, in the town. And here's a picture of him. If you see him, contact your local police, you know, whatever it is, you know, I think they're going the wrong route. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, you are what you eat the old saying, but that's not just food. It's the food of the mind, the food of the soul. I mean, relationally, whatever we feed ourselves, we become. Whatever we practice, we get good at. So I think your advice is right on to our audience. And I, I want to add to the, you know, I always was in a lot of abusive relationships. And once you get into abusive relationships, and I'm not just talking about men and women, even just your friends, like you're saying. Yes. And once you get in that habit, you almost find a, a sick comfort in it. And Sometimes you have the fear of not wanting to be alone. You know, okay, they're not a great friend, but I don't want to lose that friend. But think of it this way. If you're already sick and tired and you got to run five miles, okay, that's bad enough. But it's better to run alone than it is to run with a 200-pound monkey on your back. It's going to be dragging you down, yes. Yeah, and, and talking trash in your ear while you're doing it. So if you have toxic relationships... I agree with James and I'm not saying, and I don't think you are either. You're not saying like, okay, my family member is always negative. So I'm never going to talk to him again. But what you're saying is you're going to make it clear to them that they're negative. You love them, but you have to have limited time and you can't allow yourself to be damaged anymore. 
And if they don't understand, that's their problem, not yours. Is that what you're communicating? Exactly. You don't have to kick them out for the rest of your life and not speak. You can still be nice to them. Hey, how you doing? Hey, you should have been here when I was doing this. I know you would enjoy it. But once they start on their negative path, you go, hey, I got to go now. I appreciate everything you've done for me. I didn't come back in a week or two, a month, and do the whole process over. I used to tell there's three types of people we should have in life. One, should we, we should have the person in life that's going to be the, to tell us a, to tell us point blank truthful what's wrong with you. All right. Do you like what I'm wearing? That makes you the ugliest looking fat red tomato like the shirt I'm wearing today. All right. And, and, and they're not trying to hurt your feelings, but they're letting you know you do look bad. When you go out there, other people are going to see it. And now you may not want to hear that, but that you do need someone in your life that you can say, be as honest as you want to with me. And I'm going to be as honest back to you. <laughs> All right. And, and if yeah. you can do that. Then you also need the people around you that's, that's, they're going to be there for everything. And they may even give you the old white lie, you know, because, because they, you know, they don't want to hurt your feelings. And so James in that red shirt, you, you, you really stand out today, you know? And so, yeah, so, but you need someone's point blank tell you this one others. They just love you. And they're going to, again, they may lie to you, but they're doing it out of the best for you. All right. And then I used to kiddingly, but I am serious like this. You may have to have that person that will lie to you and tell you that that's the best looking red shirt I've ever seen. I haven't <laughs> seen anything like that before. And, and the reason is, the sad thing is, is their self-esteem is so low. They want to be around you to help build them up. And no reason they can do that, they think that I have to lie to you, tell you how great you are to keep you there. And, but it keeps your confidence up. It keeps them going and you are setting a standard for them. But then you got that guy that that's going to point blank, tell you, no, it's ugly. Get it out of here. You're going to have to have a combination of people like that for us to move on. Yeah. I, I mean, the truth tellers we need, the people who are encouragers we need, the people who are liars, you know, when you were describing that, I was thinking of the, I remember the Michael Jackson documentary he did before he died and he was just surrounded by yes men and they're just telling him how great he is. And then you think of all these fighters and they're surrounded by yes men who just straight up lie to him and it does elevate them. So I agree with what you're saying. It elevates them to exceptional performance. But at what cost? So I'd have to think and pray about the liars. Like, do we want them in our life? So if we were going to get to an exceptional standard, I think they do help. But for a long-term sustainable success, that's where I'm not sure yet. What are your thoughts well, on that? Yeah, that may be the, depending what they're lying to you about. Again, you got to look at it again. It's a two-way street, even though because they want to be with you and they're afraid they're going to say something wrong and you're going to say, get out of here, leave me alone. And so they're doing it to try to be on your good side because they enjoy your company. They're getting from you and they're wanting to try to be like you. So, and again, there are people and that those I don't recommend are the ones that 
they're going to lie to you because they're, they want to get built up and then they're going to take everything you got that you're going to give to them. And then when something happens, you don't have it. They're out the door quick. And maybe that's what I was thinking of a little bit different, not the people who want to be around you, but the people who want to just use yeah. you. So, okay. I see the differentiation there. Yeah, thank and you, how thank many, you. how many, how many athletes you hear has got this big entourage Vince Young, it played for the Tennessee Titans a couple of years, had this big entourage, had this big contract. I forgot, had $60 million, you know, first year, stuff like that. And they said he had his entourage, he paying to keep him up and going, to, to, to keep people away from him and everything. But when his money ran out, his entourage ran out as well. And that is pathetic of these people when his when he didn't have the money in the football career i mean if i was one of them of course i wouldn't have been in i wouldn't have been in the the crowd anyway but if i was one i'm gonna go man you know you helped me with so much let me give you a hundred thousand back to you for for what all you did to me but when he went bone dry and had filed bankruptcy they left him they didn't give his money back to him yeah i know i always try to teach my kids growing up it's like your friends tell you what you want to hear your true friends tell you what you need to hear. Yes. And even if somebody's pissed at you for speaking the truth, just say it in love and move on because it's, they're going to love you later. But it is sad to watch people with these, just they blow hundreds of millions of dollars and they're just used. Yes. So let's get back though, to the point of the episode where we got awesome. We're going deep and wide and hidden side items, but let's start with James again. So from your birth, to where you are today. Did we miss anything significant that you want to talk about? Or do you want to transition now into where you are today and where you're going? No, I think, I think we're pretty much ready to move on. Okay, good. I want to just make sure we covered everything. So where's Dr. James today and where are you heading? My main thing now is try to help people as much as possible just to get through life. We're all struggling with something. Uh, we're not all in the same place, but there's a way we can provide hope and not step on toes. And that's, that's the thing with the podcast that I do is the similar to yours is to help people get through a better day. And, and what's the name of your podcast? Professor of Perseverance Podcast. All right. And they can find that on Apple and all the big directories. Yes. I'm waiting, for, okay, well, I'm waiting so, for Spotify to send me one of them Joe Rogan che uh, checks. Yeah, that would be nice, uh, right? I'm, I'm hoping it for you, too. Hey, well, I, my goal with this podcast is just tell as many people as we can about just how much God loves them, help each other grow, and then just move forward. If money comes, it comes, but that's not... I know what you're saying. Like money is a tool, and I'll gladly accept it, but for the podcast, I've never pursued it. I'm a... Uh, I'm looking for funds other ways, but hey, if God brings it through the podcast, we'll take it too, as long as we're helping people and glorifying him. There was a, but now, a guy that I knew oh, growing up, and he found a $20 bill one day, and he says, man, look, God's done blessed me. I said, or devil's tempting you. Oh, what do you mean? Well, it depends what you do with that $20. If you use it to get a pair of shoes or go buy somebody else something to eat and spend it for yourself as well. I said, but if you turn around and get drugs or something, then you're going to find out God didn't give it to you for that. And dude ended up eventually buying dope with it. And so, yeah, so don't, don't give me, you were blessed. You were tempted and you failed. 
Yeah, I love that you said that because how many people, you know, people call themselves Christians every day, but they're not Christ-like. And uh, they say, God told me to do this or God told me to do that. And I'm like, damn, that's not God at all. That's your own lustful self, you liar. I'm like, don't drag God in the mud. I'm like, he's perfect and holy and loves you. Don't make him look bad because you're an idiot. So I, I, even myself, I cringe when I say, yeah, I feel like God's telling me to do something. Like most of the time, I'm just like, this is what I'm going to do because I don't want to blame God for my failures. That's right. That's right. So cool, James. Well, we're going to put all these links in the show notes. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to just talk, if they want to pursue coaching, if they're like, man, I've been depressed and in a hole, you're positive. How do I get, how do I get you to verbally slap me around and get me yeah, back on track? Just, uh, uh, Google professor of perseverance or Dr. James Purdue, and I'll come up all over the place for you. So, and is the best way to reach you through the website? Well, you can DM me on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, on my website again, professorofperseverance.com. Yeah, there's a contact page. So however you want, on, on my podcast, Professor of Perseverance, go into any description of any one you want to see. My phone number is in there along with the email. So however, however you want to find me. Awesome. Well, James, it's been a true pleasure and honor. You are a remarkable guy. I'm still blown away for the the positive energy and how you can keep just staying focused and moving forward and picking yourself back up. Um, anything before we close this episode that you want to share to the listeners, a final thought, something we missed, you know, something you're like, you know, if you're struggling start with this. Anything else you want well, to share? The, the biggest thing now that I, I want to mention is I have not been where I'm at, been, got where I'm at if it wasn't for three components. One, God in my life. Two, God put me with the family that I need that would sacrifice so much for me to be successful. I mean, he knew way before I was born, this is family I needed to be with to help me in years to come. And the third thing, again, your supporting cast, friends that are in your life forever, friends in your life for one chapter, one season, or your church, school you're going to, whatever that's going to help you stay positive and continue on again. And let me go back to you. You're talking about the positive. So, but it may be, may be, because I'm a firm believer, single mothers are the strongest mothers that they're raising these kids without dad in there. And it may be that I've been so strong-willed, strong, hard, hard-headed and positive because of watching her all these years raising us. Yeah, that is a good point because children, a lot of our personalities when we grow up is learned behavior. And if you just saw your mom just, hey, this is life, let's dig in and go, make make the most of it. And that's, that could be a huge, huge influence on you. I'm um, blessed right now that my mother's 81 with some dementia problems and she's been able to uh, move in with me, maybe with me to be able to help her instead of putting her in one of the homes. I'm not saying I may not have to later on, but at least I can help her. She's not in her old house struggling. And so I'm, I'm blessed to be able to return some of it back to her. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And that's a hard thing to deal with. I'll be praying for you. I'll say a prayer for you. 
Yeah, I had a friend, you keep talking about this and hitting on it. Like you said, you know, you got God, your family, your supporting cast. And I had a friend named Diego and he's like, you can't learn to fly if you're always saying, you can't learn to fly like an eagle if you're always hanging out with the turkeys. That's right, that's right. So, so if people are listening, I don't care who it is, if they're a bunch of morons and goofballs or negative and, and just jaded or dirty and corrupt, get rid of them. It's not worth being in your life. Love them, be there if they need you but don't let them use you and don't let them bring you down. Amen, so, brother. Yeah. Well, James, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, stick around for another couple minutes. We're going to have a special offer for you. And then James, brother, you truly are a remarkable man. Thank you for being here today. And if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. Again, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it's, it's been a true honor. Thank you, my friend. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you in just a moment for a special offer. Was that not remarkable, ladies and gentlemen? I am so thankful for James and his time that he shared with us and insights and just positive attitude. And now James is back with us for another minute. He has a special offer for you because he loves you and he wants to see you heal and grow. So James, go ahead and tell us about your remarkable offer. David, we know that everybody's struggling with something going on and a lot of us want to live in the past. You know, I can't do this because of what I did 20 years ago, what I did 30 years ago, what I did 40 years ago. So I can't move on in life because I won't let go of the past. So if you go to my website, professorofperseverance.com and scroll down a little bit, you'll see there's a free mini course and a free ebook. And it's both of them are titled Your Past Doesn't Have a Future, But You Do. Create Your Future Today. Go get your free mini course, free ebook, and enjoy it. And let me know if you what you learned from it and how it helped you and how I can help you in the future. Thank you. Oh, man, thank you. I'm excited. I'm personally going to check it out. I'm looking forward to it. I have a real big problem with just not being haunted by the past. You know, we've all had, like you said, we all have issues. We all have trauma. We all have tragedy. But for some of us, our personalities, it's hard to let go. So I'm going to check it out personally. All okay. right, lady. Ego thing, huh? Say what? Sometimes it's an ego thing. I'm not sure what it is for me, but if you think that's from talking to me, if that's what you're seeing, then I don't, maybe I need not to... you, but I know from others. Oh yeah, I know. I'm trying to identify it, so I'm not proud. I want to know. I think all of us have a degree of pride, but man, I need a punch in the face sometimes. So if that's what it is, I'll, I need to go back and search my soul and pray about that. But ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. And like our slogan says, don't just listen to this great information, but do it each day. Repeat it so that you can have a great life for this life and for eternity to come. I'm David Pasqualone. That was Dr. James Perdue. We love you and we'll see you next week for another remarkable episode. Ciao. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. Remarkable People Podcast. Listen, do, repeat for life.